Well, good morning, friends. We had a good weekend uh, with folks Thursday night and yesterday, a personal refocusing retreat, and I've asked someone, uh, Shannon, is it Otterson or Otterson or Otterson, uh, to come and uh, share some of her experience. So come on up, Shannon. Hello. Can you hear me? (laughs) I've always been a nervous speaker, so forgive me if I waver. Um... As Pastor Rick said, I am Shannon Otterson. For those of you that don't know me, I have attended Elam for four years. Tamara says four years. That sounds about right. Um, And the retreat was beyond amazing. Um, It, um, God just showed up. Um, Not on um, paper and, and not in a religious way, but in a very real and personal way. I can't speak for what happened in the hearts of everyone else that was there, but I want to share with you um, how he spoke to my heart, and and in a very um, real way. Uh, and, and to sort of frame that, there's a bit of a backstory that you should know about me. A couple of things. Um, one, I'm adopted, like earthly. I'm adopted um, into my family, my earthly family. And um, I learned about it later in my life and as a teenager, and it was a great struggle for me to feel like I didn't belong to um, my family. And and I felt apart from them uh, for many years. And um, in my spiritual journey, later in my life, in my spiritual journey, I came across a piece of scripture that had said something to the effect that God has adopted us into our family. And for many people, that is a reassuring thing. For me, it was devastating because I felt like I'm not even God's own child. He had to adopt even me. So not only do I not belong to my earthly family, God had to adopt me as well. And, and that was um, just great distress for me. And um, the other thing you should know about me is that I have for years um, struggled with depression and specifically anxiety. And as many of you know, it has been a, a very deep and recent struggle. Uh, and the anxiety has been quite um, overwhelming at times. And Friday night in, t- in particular was a really bad night for me. Um, the anxiety was om- almost overwhelming. Um, I went to bed Friday night in complete distress. And I was wishing deeply to call my mom and have my mom come over and take care of me because I didn't feel like I could take care of myself. And I just yearned to call out for my mom and say, Mom, please, I can't take care of myself. Please come take care of me. But we don't have that relationship. Um, And she doesn't live in the city, but mostly we don't have that relationship where I can call upon her to to fill that need. And um, so when I fell asleep Friday, it was in great distress. It it was not a peaceful sleep. I I fell asleep in great pain. Um, 
And then at about 12.30 in the morning, um, I woke up. Not for any reason that I could discern. I just woke up. And again, it was on my heart that I wanted my mom there. And then these words came into my heart. I don't need to yearn for my mom because Abba is always with me. And something you need to know is Abba is not part of my vernacular. I've I've heard the word preached, I've heard other people say it, but when I personally talk about my relationship with God, I talk about God, I talk about Jesus, I call him Father, um, and on occasion Yahweh, but never Abba. So to have that spoken into my heart at that point struck me as being odd. At the retreat on Thursday, I had been speaking to Rick about adoption and being adopted into God's family, and I asked him for a piece of scripture, and he recommended uh, Romans 8. Not a particular verse, just the whole chapter of Romans 8. Uh, Saturday, we had a chance for meditation, and I went and I read Romans 8, and um, I was stopped in my tracks when I got to Romans 8.15, which I will share with you. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children Now we call him Abba, Father. And I just knew that that was, that that was God. Cool. Yeah. Thanks very much, Shannon. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks. The encouraging thing to me about Shannon's story is how Holy Spirit on, it was Thursday night or Friday night? Friday. Yeah. The, the process, the retreat started on Thursday, and this conversation started on Thursday, and Shannon and I talked, and then God talked to Shannon on Friday night, and then we talked a little bit more on Saturday morning, and then God kind of finished off the conversation on Saturday. So it was, it was just God. It was... a what I call a God sighting. Are you familiar with that term? Uh, I wish I could say I'm, well, I guess maybe I did kind of make it up. I don't know. It's a God sighting. It's just, wow, what can you explain? What happens that you can only explain that God was involved, directly involved? So thanks for sharing that. Um, just by the way, some folks are wondering, I couldn't make it or whatever. We're, we're praying about um, uh, how to follow up this um, retreat. So just stay tuned and give us a week to pray about it and see where we go from there. All right, it's uh, 20 after 11, and we're going to talk, the the sermon title is called Surrender Now. And uh, for those of you, Ken, what time is kickoff today? Two. Two. Okay. Okay. (sighs) All right, no worries. Um, and uh, New England's going to lose anyway, right? So, right on. Okay. Shh. Keep it down. Is this church? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, this 
But Jesus is saying to all these people clustering around him, like he drew crowds wherever he went. People were fascinated with this man. But he's imagine he had really terrible recruiting techniques. You know, he could have, he had all this popularity. And he'd say crazy things like, well, if you want to hang on to your life, you're going to have to lose it. You're going to have to throw it away on me. In fact, uh, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross every day and follow me. Now, to us in 21st century Canada, that pick up your cross thing doesn't have a lot of resonance for us. A lot of us, how many people here are wearing a cross today? Do you like mine? Pretty cool, eh? Got in Ireland, don't you know? Anyway, it's, I, I didn't used to wear one. But uh, I thought, that's kind of cool. Now, it's not a good luck charm, or uh, some people wear St. Christopher medals or other, you know, Egyptian doodads or whatever. It's not not meant to be jewelry or decoration, although some people would say, Rick, you need all the help you can get. But it's just a reminder to me, just a kind of a physical reminder to me of who Jesus is and who the boss is. Uh, some folks I know um, uh, do it with tattoos, right? One young girl in our previous church has got John 3.16 on her arm, and it's there for life to kind of remember that verse that says, God loved the world so much, he sent his only son so that nobody would perish, okay? So, whatever you think of tats, I'm not advocating one way or the other, but people do this to remind themselves. Of, of the importance. So the, the cross is kind of the ultimate logo. It's kind of like the, you know, what do you think of when you see a big yellow M like this? You deserve a break today, right? And all that stuff, okay? Um, or do you want fries with that? Or whatever they, whatever they ask you in the drive-thru. Uh, when you see a cross, generally, you think about Jesus and the Christian faith, Right? Now, think about this. Let's try to use our imaginations and put us back into the original audience's perspective, into their heads. The people that Jesus was talking to, use your imagination. If they said, if they heard the words, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross every day and follow me, what, what would they be hearing? What were crosses used back there? They didn't, they didn't have church buildings, and they certainly didn't use them for decoration. There wasn't a, a, a jewelry store boom in crosses. What did they use crosses for back in Jesus' day? Cruci- what's that? What's a crucifixion? Ex- yeah, they, used the, they, they, were killing, they, they were killing machines, right? They used them to kill people. One guy I know didn't use the word cross. He called it a, a, a torture stake or a, you know. That, that's basically what it was. They tortured people to death. It wasn't quick. It wasn't a hanging or a lethal injection or anything relatively merciful. They tortured people to death, sometimes for days, on crosses. Wow, what a clever marketing scheme. Yeah. Why don't we all just wear nooses around our necks? Or get a tattoo of an electric chair 
or something like that. You know, like, what's with that? Jesus is making it very clear to people that we need to give up control of our lives if we're to be in his kingdom. Now, for those of us who have control issues, likely pretty much everybody in this room to one extent or another, that's pretty challenging. That is definitely in in our faces, isn't it? But that's what Jesus says. If you want to follow me, if you want to know what life's really all about, if you want to hang on, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. How ironic and how true. People, you probably think of some people in this situation, people who've hung on to control in their life, hung on and, and, and resisted uh, surrendering to Jesus. They just, they just drift and they become more miserable and more bitter and end up kind of wasting their lives because they miss this opportunity. Let's do the next slide, Sean. It's a fascinating old hymn. I'm going to translate it for you. As the, the language is a little bit opaque, but it's, it's very powerful. Um, this is written by a guy named George Matheson, I believe, who was uh, about 100 and some years ago. He was a, a bright young uh, student in seminary, but around the age of 18, he started to go blind, and he lost his eyesight. And he had to give up his ambitions of a teaching and academic career, and uh, he became a devotional writer instead. He had a lot of time to think about things, a lot of time to reflect on what was really important in life. Uh, for those of you who are on the, treat this, the retreat this weekend, his going blind would have been a big pink square in his history, if you know what I'm talking about. A painful moment that God used to teach him things about himself. Here's what Matheson says. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Jesus, you be the boss, you capture me, and then I'll be free. I'll be free from myself and my selfishness. Force me to render up my sword. Make me surrender, and I will be the conqueror. I'll win. As soon as I surrender my sword, I win. I sink in life's alarms or life's, life's troubles and adversity. When by myself I stand. When I try to do life on my own, I bomb. It just doesn't go well at all. So impress on me within thine arms, within that firm embrace, and strong shall be my hand. Do you get that? Pretty powerful song. Good tune, isn't it, Ken? It's a good tune. Do you know the tune? I'm not going to hum it for you. Anyway, um... What Matheson had been wrestling with is basically who's going to be the boss? Who is going to be the boss? Okay, next slide. The end of World War II, uh, I believe it's September 2nd, 1945, in Tokyo Harbor, this huge U.S. battleship, the Missouri, cruises into the harbor, and they have a formal uh, declaration of like the formal surrender of Japan, unconditional surrender, okay? It wasn't negotiated. You can keep this, you can do that. The deal was unconditional surrender, okay? As uh, General Douglas MacArthur, the commander of the U.S. forces, came um, to the ceremony, the Japanese representative uh, 
went to shake his hand. And MacArthur just kept his hands by his side. Was he being rude? Not exactly. He said to the Japanese general, give me your sword first. So the Japanese man handed over his sword. Why? As a symbol of unconditional surrender. Then they shook hands. Then they signed the treaty and, and life went on. But there's a, there's a proper um, sequence for that. We try to negotiate a deal with God before we hand over our sword. You know what I'm saying? And that gets us into trouble. Because we, we, we struggle with this total surrender, unconditional surrender. Because we're not sure if we can trust God. Or we just want to, we just like control of things, right? We want to be in charge. Or we keep trying to tugging on the end of the sword. It's like, I want it back. You know, I changed my mind. Wait a minute, you can have, can't have all of that. It just doesn't work this way. With Jesus, it's all in or nothing. Okay? Unconditional surrender or not. But what happens if you don't take this opportunity to surrender? The next slide. This um, gentleman in the middle is, uh, maybe you heard of him recently in the last couple of uh, weeks. He just passed away. Hiro Onada was a Japanese lieutenant um, on a, one of the islands in the Philippines. He did not surrender after the treaty was signed. And uh, for 29 years, he lived in the Philippine jungle, believing that the war was still on. 29 years. And as you could tell, his uniform was a little bit worse to wear after 29 years. But he would not surrender. He, he wouldn't believe. Even though uh, people were trying to communicate to him, they had family members broadcasting their voices. They were dropping leaflets. But he kept on fighting. And in fact, about 30 people in the area where he was operating were killed because this guy would not surrender. He wouldn't give up. Finally, he was persuaded. He met a Japanese uh, backpacker in the jungle who had gone to find him. And he said, I will surrender. I'll believe you if you bring my commanding officer. So they went to Japan. And 29 years later, this fellow finally surrendered. But I don't know. Apparently, when he got back to Japan, he was kind of a national hero. But I'm thinking, it's kind of a sad waste of 29 years. And I was thinking, for those of us who don't surrender to Jesus, it's kind of a sad waste of our life. You know? You miss out on that. And Onada said, actually, after he was back in Japan and they were talking about his experiences, he said, wow, you know what? I... I I hardly want to take the time to eat or sleep anymore. I've got so much of life to make up. If I could just get someone else to eat and sleep for me, I, I've got so much more to experience in life. But that's the consequences of not surrendering, right? It's kind of sad. It's risky to surrender. And, it, you know, it, it's risky to, to give God complete control of your life. But when we give up our sword, then we're finally free. Kind of ironic. All of a sudden, is anybody like that? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Does that resonate? When you surrender to God, you feel freer? Is that? 
I may be just talking nonsense and don't worry, we'll get out of here quickly. But what, what do you think? Yeah, the weight of the world's off your shoulders, yeah. yeah. It's okay to nod or grunt or something, just, you know, I need a little feedback here. Not your approval, but just say, is it, does it resonate with you? Because when we surrender, then we become free. Free from our own expectations, free from our sin and selfishness, free from addictions, free from fear, free from grudges, free from unforgiveness, free from sinful family patterns, free from all kinds of junk. Feel free to stay in the jungle for 29 years. Good luck with that, okay? Carry on. We will admire your uh, stubbornness or whatever you want to call it, foolishness, whatever. I'm a self-made man. Well, good luck with that. I'm a God-made man, and I need him desperately to change me from the inside because the self-made part of Rick isn't working so well. You know what I'm saying? I need him to change me from the inside out. Next slide, please, Sean. Isaiah chapter 30. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. Who's your daddy? You know, who's your boss? Who's going to call the shots in your life? This is your opportunity. Absolute surrender. It's the only way to be free. Boy, I'm sorry I could... No, I'm not sorry. I, I can't sugarcoat this, and I don't feel bad about it, because I owe it to you to tell you the truth about life. Okay? I can't make it glossy or sexy or funny or anything like that. This is the truth. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going you know, to mess up. So as soon as earthly possible, I would strongly advise to you, get into the surrender thing and turn it over to Jesus. And maybe you've already done this, but you're struggling. You're having second thoughts or life isn't going on so well. Keep in that posture of surrendering to him, okay? Keep trusting him. And you will find that strength in him. Why? Because the Lord is a faithful God and blessed are those who wait for his help. One more, Sean. This is our posture, okay? I want you to try something with me. I know you're always, I'm trying different worship postures. Go like this. That's a good posture. What does that mean in universal language? I surrender. I give up, okay? That's not a bad posture to enter into God's presence, okay? Okay, you're the boss. Then you will find freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've made it possible for us to be reconciled to Jesus, but we know that we have to surrender. We confess we're a stubborn, rebellious lot, and we keep wanting to take back control of our lives. Will you show us how to set us free, how we can be set free to follow you? For those folks this, this weekend who are wrestling with this refocusing retreat, we give all this junk over to you in Jesus' name. We want to walk free. Thank you for Shannon's story. Thank you for the other stories that you're, of people's lives that you're working in. 
We are hungry for spiritual reality. So will you show up, please? Speak to us in different ways so that we know it's you and set us free to follow you. We pray these things confidently in Jesus' name. Amen.